All right. My goal is to make it worth your while, but if it's not, there's ice cream at the end. So it's going to be a good night. I want to open with uh, Peter, chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth, since when? Birth. Birth. Was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put out when? Every day to beg for those who, from those who came to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So he looked to them, expecting something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him and walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates. How long do you think he'd been begging at those temple gates? Every day. What, now, he probably didn't arrive at birth, but he had been crippled since birth. And the people from the whole city recognized him. So I think it's safe to assume he had been doing that probably for many years. So it says they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished who came to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and disowned before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy righteous one and asked that the murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as all, as can, excuse me, as you can all see. So most of us, how many of you have never heard that story before? Never. Okay, I thought so. Most of us are familiar with that story. It's a, it's a very popular story in the New Testament. Peter walked by that gate And he did a miracle. But what I wanted to point out about the story is something I don't think most of us have noticed before. I want to go to Luke chapter 21, verse 37. Now, the scripture doesn't say exactly when this took place in Peter 3. But it's at the beginning of Peter's ministry. It seems chronologically to be before most of what else had happened. 
it's most likely only, if not weeks and months, only a few years at most since Jesus was there. He's reminding them those are the same people who had ordered, had chanted that Jesus be crucified. Peter is talking to the same group of people. It wasn't like 15 years had passed in a totally different group. It's the same folks. Luke chapter 21, verse 37 says, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Here's what I want you to know. If Jesus went every day to the temple and each evening to the Mount of Olives, Jesus passed that same man. Now, what I find so interesting about that is that God used Peter. But you know, God, you could have used God. Jesus could have been the one who did that miracle. But he wasn't. But he wasn't. So many of us Christians, we have an attitude like God's going to do what God wants to do with or without me. Like, I think many of us are kind of like wondering what God's going to do. We're just kind of waiting to see what God's going to do. Look in Luke chapter 10. It says, these were his instructions to them. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. What, what did Jesus say? He said, there's a lot to do. So did he say, pray that I'll do it all? That isn't what he said. He didn't say, pray that those who are doing it already will do more of it. He didn't say, pray that there'll be several superstars who can accomplish it all. He said, pray that there would be more workers in the field. That's Luke 10, verse 2. And I get to thinking about over and over in Scripture how many times people didn't know when they were on the verge of being used by God in a huge way. You ever think about David? He thought he was going to deliver pizza. Bread and cheese, missing the sauce. Instead, he delivered the nation. He went, he was delivering food to his brothers, but God's plan was that he would deliver the nation. Look at Luke 10, chapter, 17, or chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. It says, when the 72, which Jesus had sent out, Right there. We read when he sent them out. He, he sent them out saying, pray that there'd be more workers. Now I send you out. And then they come back at verse 17 and it says, when they returned, they joyfully reported to me, to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them. 
I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice over evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because you are registered in heaven or your names are written in the book of life is what another translation says. Jesus, it's interesting to me, Jesus says our salvation should be more precious and exciting to us than even power over the demonic. He says that's what you should be excited about. But it's interesting to me, he sent them out. Now, I want to go to another very popular story. How many of you remember the story of when Paul was on his way to persecute the Christians and a supernatural light from heaven came down, knocked him off the donkey, and he says, Lord, Lord, who are you? And Jesus replies to him. There's something interesting about that story. How many of you agree that's pretty supernatural? Like straight from heaven to Paul. What I find interesting about that story is what he says to Paul. At the end, he doesn't say everything. Instead, he says, go to a street called Straight and wait for a man. So even though God used the supernatural to get Paul's attention, God's plan wasn't to do it himself. He sent Paul to some place and said, wait for a man who will come and a man named Simon who will come and tell you. And, and, and so what happens? He goes and supernaturally speaks to Simon and says, go to Paul. And the, Simon says, I know who that guy is. And he's nervous. But God says, do it anyway. And he goes, you know what? In, in my pea brain, just seems like it might have been easier. See, Paul had a pretty bad reputation. And you know who brought him to the apostles? Simon. Not only did he have to go, and the Bible tells us that he went there, Saul, who is about to change his name to Paul, is blind. And Simon prays for him, and something like scales falls off his eyes. And then Simon Church history tells us, then goes and introduces him to the other disciples who are very weary, or wary is the word of it, wary of Paul. They're like, whoa, we don't know if this is a ruse. Now, in my mind, I would think, well, if you're in the business of supernaturally saying stuff, why not just appear to each one of the apostles? Why send Paul to Simon and then Simon with Paul to the apostles. Even in scripture, when something starts out supernatural, God's MO is to use people. He still finishes out with people. That is his MO, modus operandum. That is his way of doing things. He prefers to use us. Romans 10, 
11 through 15 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How can they call on the one in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. God has a pattern established long, long ago throughout Scripture that he wants to use us to reach others. I want you to say this with me. I have what other people are waiting for. Do you realize that God is looking to do things in people's life, but he's not planning to do it by himself. It is his plan. It is his desire to use you and I. As Christians, God is offering us. He says, pray. What did he say before? He said, pray for more laborers. Pray for more laborers. I like what Joel said. He said, here am I, Lord. Remember the rest of that verse? Here am I, Lord. Send me. That is the biblical prayer. So many Christians, we have this idea, well, if God wants to do it, he's going to do it. And if God was going to do something supernatural through me, he would come down and force me to do it. No. No. 1 Corinthians 14.32 says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know what that means? That means that even the supernatural gifts did not flow through the prophets without them choosing to let it flow. I don't know if I've ever shared this from a pulpit, but when I was in college, um, I had the privilege of being in a meeting where Benny Hinn came and spoke at that college to those of us who were there. And he specifically said, I'm speaking to you as future leaders. I remember, all right, I'm going to listen. I don't care what you think about Benny Hinn. God has used him greatly. And so I listened carefully to what he had to say. And he said something that I will never forget. He read that scripture And he talked about the process through which the anointing that was on him had grown and how he had spent time getting to know the Holy Spirit as a person. And he has an entire book on that. It's called Good Morning Holy Spirit. I recommend that you you read it. It's, It's great. But then he said something that I cannot prove theologically. But based on who said it, I've always stored it over in the back of my mind as something significant. So I pass it on to you in the same way. I say, 
I'm not claiming that this is a theological absolute, but based on the anointing on the person who said it, it has some merit in my mind. Are you ready? Have I, have I built it up enough? Here's what he said. He said, not only can someone who has an anointing from God fail to do something that God would like them to do, he can use, he or she can use that anointing inappropriately. Thinking about that. How many of you remember the story of Samson? Samson had an incredible anointing on his life, but we know he used that for a lot of inappropriate stuff. Then he gave two other examples, and he said, and this is the part that I cannot prove theologically. He said, it is my opinion that in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings chapter 2, when Elijah was walking down the street, and the Bible says that a group of youth began to mock him for his baldness, and he rebuked them, and the bears came out and mauled them. How many remember that story? That one's less popular. He said, he said, it is my personal opinion that that was his bad character coming out and that it was not necessarily God's will that that take place. He was misabusing the, the, the supernatural influence that had come with his anointing. He said the same thing about 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 9 through 16. If you remember this story, Elisha, who Elijah had learned from, was sitting uh, on a hilltop and the king sent 50 men to go get him. And he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume you all. Poof, they were gone. The king sent 50 more men. He said, if I'm a man of God, let fire consume you. Boom, they were gone. King sent another man with 50. He came and begged and said, please, respect my life. I'm just the messenger. Would you please come? And he did. Now, this is that part that I can't theologically state on, but it's still stuck in my mind. He said, I believe that that as well was not necessarily God's perfect will for that situation, but that that man was misusing the anointing that was on his life. And I've never forgot about that. But the truth that I can tell you is clear as day in Scripture is that the anointing and the power that God has placed inside of you does not get released until you step out and use it. Say it with me again. I have in me what other people need. You see, there are miracles that you and I could release. Miracles like Peter. He went by a lame man who Jesus had passed on a regular basis. But the Holy Spirit quickened him that day to reach out and tell him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 8 says, At Caesarea, 
there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. It was known as the, uh, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man. (laughs) He's being spoken to by an angel. But he says, go get a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his sons, uh, two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. In verse 27, while talking with Peter, Peter went inside. He gets there and found a large gathering of people. And he said, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then Cornelius tells him the story of how an angel came. Again, why didn't the angel just Give him the gospel. Because that's not the way God operates. He wants to operate through us. It's like the the, the angels are just the emergency plan B when we won't get our act together. And even then, he just sends them to give us a kick in the pants. Get out there. You go tell them. That's your job, not mine. He goes, and they're saved, and then they're baptized, and they're filled with the Holy Ghost, and God has descended on the Gentiles, and it is a huge and monumental thing that takes place in the New Testament. And all of the other apostles, (coughs) as a result, begin to understand that God cares about Everyone equally. So, God wants to use us. Other people's miracles are in us. How do we get them out? Step number one, ask. Ask. Joel said, here am I, send me. One of my favorite verses is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. It says, devote yourselves to prayer. Peter, or excuse me, Paul is talking to the people there, telling them how to pray. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. You know, I double dog dare you to just pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. I've shared the story before. When when I prayed that prayer, I said, God, open me a door. And that very day, 
I get a chance to talk to an Australian man. He turns to me and he says, so you're a Christian. What do you believe about God? How many of you realize that's an open door? Sometimes we're afraid. We think I'm going to have to go stand on the street corner with a bullhorn and start shouting about what to do. No. If you want to be used by God, you say, God, send me open doors. Give me opportunities. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Open doors that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery for, of Christ for which I am now in change, chain for God to open doors. That's what we're praying for. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. I love putting these two verses together because they are both verses where Paul has taught the people. He's telling them what to pray. In the first one, he says, pray for open doors. And in this verse, in 18, it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert always, keeping on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that, here it comes, Whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. It is a biblical prayer to ask that doors be opened. But here's the thing. You don't have to know what to say. Because it is also a biblical prayer that you just say, God, and when that door comes, give me the words. Give me the words. They don't have to be complicated. He'll give you those words at that time. See, God is wanting to use you. I had an interesting situation. Just a few, I already told him I was going to use him as an illustration. So John, who was playing the guitar here today, he saw me before service. He says, you might not remember the first time we met. And I said, uh, that's true. I don't remember. <coughs> he says, <clears throat> we were in a hot tub. Well, that got my attention. Like, when was I in a hot tub with you? And he said, it was at the YMCA, and they have a big hot tub. So it wasn't an intimate situation. This is just, <laughs> this is just us hanging out at the hot, in the big old hot tub at the YMCA. He said, we got to talking, and um, I said, well, cool, that's great. And he said, you know, I just wanted to tell you that God used that to get me back to church. He says, that was eight years ago. He says, I've been back for more than seven years. He says, now I'm up here and I'm playing. I didn't know that. We had a conversation. Was not memorable to me. Changed the course of his walk with God. And he just wanted to say something. We have what other people are waiting for. There are words that God wants to put in your mouth. You don't worry. You don't have to come up with them. Just pray that he'll give them. And I shared this before, but I, I still want to share it again. So Smith Wigglesworth, who was a man who, who flowed in the supernatural, he tells of how he would pray 
that God would open doors, but he would always throw the caveat. We saw that's a scriptural prayer. He would always throw the caveat, send me to the person closest to death. It's not in the Bible anywhere that we need to do that, but it's also not saying that we can't. And he tells a story of how God brought him to someone during one of his lunch hours. He was sitting in a park. He says, God, who do you want me to speak to? And it was somebody going by in a carriage, a horse and carriage. And he went over and he talked to that person and he led them to the Lord. And within a week, they had passed in an accident. But they had gotten right with God. And I shared that story at a youth group. And I challenged teenagers to do the same thing. A girl later tells me, she says, I work at McDonald's. She says, and I prayed, God, open a door for me to share the gospel with someone who is close to death. Now, get me straight here. I'm not telling you that you can pray and kill people. That's not what I'm saying. What she asked wasn't to do any person any harm. She said, bring me to the person who's already on that path. They're on their way. Something is going to happen. But let me get there first. She went, she prayed for one of her coworkers who that weekend passed away in a car accident, but she'd given her life to Christ. That's exciting. That's exciting. We have what other people are waiting for. Ask for it. Number two, love people. 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If we want to be used by God, we need to to look at people the way God looks at people, and God looks at people with love. I'll never forget, many, many years ago, there was an evangelist who came here, and God had used him in mighty, mighty ways, and there had been people who were raised from the dead under his ministry, and, and people were being healed miraculously left and right, and he got up and he shared, and he said this story. He said, the very first time I was ever used to raise someone from the dead, I was at a public pool, and there was a little boy, a handicapped boy, if I recall correctly, who fell in and drown, and nobody noticed. And he had died at the bottom of the pool. His body had relaxed. He had released all there was in him. They found him. They pulled him up. And he said, as I was looking at him, the compassion of God came on me. And he, he made the connection. He said, look here in Matthew 9.35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. He was moved with compassion, and he said, I felt. He said, I said out loud, God, if it could be me who took his place, I would do it. And in that place of compassion, he went over, and he prayed for that boy, and he was raised from the dead after the EMTs had given up. There is something supernatural about the compassion of God. 
when we love people, we are best equipped to present the supernatural that God has within us. We ask. We love God. The third thing I'm going to list today is trust. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatsoever he says. Trust. Now, how many of you remember what it was like when you first learned to swim? You first learned to swim, and you go out, and the water's just a little over your head. But you're not that worried because, you know, it's, it's, it's down there. How many of you ever jump off a boat in the middle of a lake? Was it, was it extra scary? I mean, when you maybe, maybe when you first learned to swim, because you didn't trust yourself that much. But nowadays, what difference does it make? If I'm two feet over my head, or I'm a hundred feet over my head, I trust that I know how to swim. We have a picture here of rock climbing. Can you see the pickup trucks on the far left? That's me in uh, Mexico. I think I'm about four or five hundred feet up at this point. I remember when I was taught how to climb. And the guy said, go up, you're on this rope, I have a rope. He says, don't tell me when, just jump off. I said, are you sure about that? He said, yeah, just jump off. He says, you need to learn that this rope is safe. So I did. I didn't know enough to realize how ridiculous what I did was, but I went to the very, very top. When I had the most slack because I was about to clip into the, to the spot. I was doing what they call lead climb, so the rope was coming up from below me. So there was maybe six or seven feet of rope below me, plus I had grabbed some more slack. So there's seven or eight feet of rope that are loose in my hands, and I just jumped off. That means I fell seven or eight feet, and then seven or eight more feet, and then the rope caught me, and he did. And you know what? It didn't hurt. It wasn't so bad. In fact, it was kind of fun. No pain. So I learned to trust that, you know, I can go out there. I can try. I can reach for something. I can try a move that might work and might not. And if it doesn't, I just let the rope catch me. This is what God is asking. He says to grow in that trust. Trust in him as we trust. Listen. He says that whosoever says and believes without doubting will have so whatsoever they say. So it's all in our heads how deep the water is. God says, I got you. And we're all swimming in the shallow end, you know, trying it out and thinking, well, I guess if it works in the shallow end, and he's like, it's the same thing that works in the shallow and that works in the deep end. Just practice till you trust that it works. Till like this, I can tell you, when we were up on that mountain, 
I was there with my brother and my sister-in-law. We were not afraid. We were having an absolute blast because all of us trusted. Someone once asked me one time, knowing that I was in, uh, that I rock climbed, they said, when you hear that someone else falls, does that make you afraid to go? I thought about it for a second. I said, when you see in the news that someone was drinking and crashes their car, does it make you afraid to drive? They said, no. I mean, if I hear that someone in the news fell asleep while driving, it might make me a little more conscious about not driving tired, but it doesn't make me afraid. Why? Because I know that I trust my ability to drive a car. When I see or hear what happened to them, I'm, I'm not concerned. I don't project their drunk driving failure on myself. I can trust the equipment. I trust the person that I'm climbing with. God says, trust me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, and I'm reading from a different translation than usual. This is the worldwide English. It says, we, so we are messengers for Christ. God is using us to call people. So we are standing here for Christ and begging people, come back to God. Christ did no wrong thing, but for our sake, God put the blame for our wrong ways on Christ. So now God sees us as good because we are in Christ. See, we are the messengers. You might recognize that translation when I read it from the NIV and it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. See, God says, you're my ambassador, you're my messenger. When I want to do something in the world, I'm not just going to pop an angel down there and just say, go do it. I am looking for laborers. I am looking for a man or a woman who will step up and say, here I am, send me. I want to be used to speak what you have to say to my neighbor. I want to be used to bring supernatural healing to my, the body of my neighbor or to the marriage of my neighbor. Or how many of you are with me on that? Say it with me again. Say, I have in me what God has for other people. He wants to use us and I just say we are blessed and privileged that that's the case. I want to close, but before I do, how many of you know that if you died today, you would spend eternity with him because your sins are forgiven? Awesome. Just like we read a few moments ago in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Christ did no wrong, but for our sake, God put the blame of our wrong on Christ, so now God sees us as good. The Bible says, know that you have salvation. If you're here and you couldn't raise your hand a moment ago because you didn't know, you just hoped or wondered, the Bible says you can know you have salvation.
Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that separated you from God, that wrongdoing that Jesus paid the price for. If you're here and you want to make that declaration, you want to make him the Lord of your life, you want to be forgiven, I want to give you that opportunity. With your eyes closed, just a minute, everyone, heads down so that no one's embarrassed. If that's you and you want to accept the forgiveness of your sins, I want to ask you to raise your hand and we will pray just like that scripture said. Is there anybody here? No? Now, I want to ask you, if the Holy Spirit is prodding you and saying, yes, I have something in you for others, I want you to raise your hand. Now, you guys can open your eyes because there's no shame in this. God is going to use you. I double dog dare you. You ask for it. You go out there, you walk through those doors that God will open for you. And then come back and tell us about it. Because we want to share. Because God is not a, doesn't have favorites. And if he does it for her over there, he'll do it for her. If he does it for him, he'd do it for her and for her and for him. And he is no respecter of persons. And I am excited to see what God is going to do as a result of this. I believe this was something... Friday, I felt like this is what God said. Two months ago, I talked about something somewhat similar, and I was like, but God, didn't I kind of touch on that theme? It's like, no, this is what you need to share on today. And I said, okay. So I just pray that miracles happen because of what God has put in your hearts today.